Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. How you doing, everybody? Joe McCall, the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And we got another great episode for you today. And we're interviewing a great guy that I just met. I like him a lot. I think he will too. His name is Pete, Pete Reese. And he's a land investor, very active land investor. In some months, he'll do just maybe only $500,000 a month on a good month, right? But yeah, that's not bad, is it? Flipping vacant land. That's what we're going to be talking about today. It's my favorite subject, flipping vacant land. And I know you're going to get a lot out of it. We are going to be diving deep into the details. So get a pen and paper like I got mine right here. Get your pen and paper out. We're going to take a lot of massive notes. You know how I do these podcasts. I like to over deliver on the value. And we've got two things we're going to give to you for free on today's episode. Number one, I'm going to give you my land contract, the contract that I use to flip our vacant land deals. And Pete's also going to give you his. I'm going to give you his link in a minute here. But if you want mine, Go to simplelandcontract.com, simplelandcontract.com. It's a real simple page. Put in your email there and you're going to get the actual one-page contract that my sons and I used to tie up this deal in Sewanee County, Florida. We made a $12,450 profit on this thing, but we actually sold it with owner finance. And so we're getting $250 a month. Guys, we bought this thing for $3,800 and we're getting $250 a month for five years on that. Where else can you buy something with $3,800 actually out of pocket? We're only out of pocket about $2,500 because we got about a $1,500 down payment something like that. But where else can you get $250 a month in passive passive cash flow without tenants and toilets and trash and termites and all the other T's for just a few thousand bucks with zero debt? No, you can't. You can't do it anywhere else. So Pete and I are going to be talking about that on this podcast. And if you want my contract for free, again, there's no catch, no, no tricks. Well, there is a little trick. We want you to register for a webinar. But if you go to simplelandcontract.com, we will opt in there. We'll email you the contract, give you an invitation to watch a class that I did on how you can learn how to do this strategy yourself as well. Cool. Now let's bring Pete on uh, because Pete's got some cool things to share with us as well. He's doing a lot of vacant land deals. Pete, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited Thanks. To be here. I'm glad you're here. Appreciate it very much. Um, let's talk about what you do. Where are you from? And uh, how did how did we you sent me an email a few weeks ago? We talked a little bit later on. And I was I remember I was like, okay, stop talking. I want to save all my questions for our podcast interview because it sounds like you're doing some really cool things. But um, how did you get into real estate? Let's start with that. Well, I got into real estate like a lot of other other people with the purchase of our first home, myself and my wife. And uh, you know, that kind of worked out pretty well. We only held it for two years, bought it with an FHA loan with a small down payment. So we were able to sell it uh, a couple of years later and to make a $50,000 profit. And that's money in our pocket at the end. And we were at the time, we were like, this is amazing. Real estate is great. I've always had an interest in real estate, but that was kind of the first actual piece of real estate I bought. Uh, it led to basically us uh, getting into home flipping. So we did that for a while. Um, this is before the big market crash of 2007 to 2009. During that time period, I got my broker's license here in California. That's where I, that's where I live. And um, that that was kind of a, a, a pretty good timing because uh, I was able to use that broker license to sell REO or bank-owned properties. So I was an REO listing broker for about 
two years during the worst market crash ever. So it was pretty busy, actually, at a time when a lot of people in real estate were struggling. So that led me uh, to working with a lot of investors. I would find them deals, my listings, and also other properties that uh, I knew on the market that I could get locked up for them. So I knew that side of things being coming from the home flipping side of things. And I, I knew that uh, I knew what they were looking for and what they needed to make the numbers work. I also like the fact that there's no emotions involved with the real estate and real estate investing. It's not uh, it's not about pink colors or feng, sh- feng shui or anything like that. It's simply about do the numbers work and is it a good business decision. Uh, yeah, fast and forward we see a lot more num- of that in California, maybe than other parts of the country. The feng shui? Feng shui. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds Maybe. of things out here. <laughs> uh, all right. So cool. So, um, when did you start getting into... And what part of California do you live in? I'm in San Diego, uh, Del right. Mar specifically. Um, so it's a it's a great spot. It's, um, it's uh, nice weather most of the year. And uh, that's why I'm here. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. That's where I grew up, went oh. to college out there. And then after college, moved out with a friend and just decided that if I don't like it, I'll, I can always move home. But it worked out pretty well because I got my family to move out after me, my younger brother, my older brother, and even my parents. It worked yeah. out pretty well. I've been to Del Mar many, many times. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good spot. Well, I used to live in uh, San Diego for most of my childhood huh. and then left San Diego in 1989. Wow. Okay. Way, yeah. way back. A long time ago. But anyway, um, okay. So what got you interested in land? Well, I knew I knew I wanted to get into the investing game again myself, and I just was doing a lot of research trying to figure out what niche I wanted to sort of pursue. Read some stuff about land, people taking a ten thousand dollar property and flipping it for thirty thousand. I thought that's pretty good. I'd love to do a bunch of those, and it sounded great, but I really had no idea, you know, if that was reality or just you know people talking on the internet. So I decided to. You know, I bought a course on it and I just dove in, learned what year everything. Was this? Uh, this was in 2020. It was okay. actually about two years ago right now. Uh, it was uh, Thanksgiving time two years ago. So just just over two years ago is when I bought the course on it. And then I just really dove in, learned everything I could about the land side of things. I, you know, I had quite a bit of experience with real estate, but land is a whole different animal, how to evaluate these properties and how to generate the deals. So I you know, had a lot to learn and I figured I'd learn everything I could and then just dove right in. Cool. So sent out my first batch of letters probably about two years ago, right around this time of the year. And uh, my first batch of mail was a complete dud because I, I, I made a number of, mistake, <laughs> number of mistakes on it, but I learned from them. And I did my first deal in November of 2021. So a little over... I mean, no, in March of 2021. So a little over a year and a half ago. Um, the first year, 2021, we did 1.2 in revenue and uh, about 50% gross profit margin. And then 2022, uh, I'm going to end up somewhere between three and a half and four million in revenue, and right around that same gross profit margin. Fantastic, amazing, right? Well, thank it's you. Just, that's, that's, now you've done houses, you've done land. What which do you prefer? Land, so much easier. It really, honestly is. There's just less less that can go wrong, I guess. I mean, there's always things that can go wrong in any sort of real estate deal, but there's just less variables. You're not dealing with people living at the property generally, and uh, it's easier to get things ready to to resell. Just yeah. just a lot. It's just a lot easier from my perspective, really. Yeah, and I should mention too, guys. Pete has his own letter and contract. And where did my cursor go? Here it is. And if you want it, you can get it right now at joemccall.com/pete. joemccall.com/pete. If you go there. 
you can get the letter and the contract that Pete sends out. Now he sends it, he does a little different. I want to go into this in a little bit. You send blind offers right. to sellers mainly, right? Right. I prefer to send neutral letters. And I'd like to get your feedback on that a little bit here in a minute, why you like that better. Um, but let's talk about the the deals that you did in 21 and 22, the last two years. What kind of deals have they been? Where have you been going? And you don't have to give us a specific county, sure. but like areas, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mostly the East Coast. That's kind of where I've been focusing. I've done some stuff in the Pacific Northwest, but most of my stuff has been the East Coast. It seems like it's uh, they're very out. Many of them are, are active. Many of the states are really active markets for land. There's a lot of deals happening, and I like that. Yeah. California is a little rough for land investing. I know a lot of people do land investing in California where I live, but it just does, I've done. I did one deal in California, but it just doesn't resonate with me as much. You know, I felt the same way. We did some land in Kern County and uh, Riverside County, maybe. Mm, yep. Los Angeles County. They're huge counties, right? And uh, I just felt like all that work for just these little deals, because there's there's a ton of them that are just, you know, investors are selling them for like four or five grand. Yep. And it's just a lot of work for a little bit of money. Now, usually they're selling them with owner financing. And there right. is a lot of activity. You can make money, but there are better states. Would you agree with this? I definitely agree. I definitely agree. You know, and that's one of my things I've, you know, that's a different business model than I do. And I know a lot of land investors make a lot of money, you know, holding the financing like you were talking about at the beginning and selling them that way. Mine is um, pretty much focused on buying cash and then reselling cash for a quick sale. My average hold time is 60 days on average between all all my properties. So what we do is we, we buy off market direct from the sellers and then we Sometimes do some simple things to them, like maybe we'll get some clearing done, maybe we'll get a perk test, maybe we'll get a survey, you know, depending on what it needs to enhance the marketability. And then we'll put it on the market right away with a, a local real estate broker and resell it. So I normally always use a local broker to resell it and list the property for us. That's that's interesting. Um, so you're you're finding more premium deals. Like what so talk about what your well, let's rewind even more because I got a lot of good questions here. And I know a lot of people are wondering. And I, and I like the fact that your your average hold time is 60 days. Like, I think it's important to, for people to realize that. Unlike housing, where there's such there's so many buyers and such a huge demand, where you're, with, when you're flipping a house, you can usually sell it within days, but you still have that 30 days window where you 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 have to close with the title company and all of that. But with land, it just takes a couple months longer, typically on average, right, to sell yep. the land. All right. So can you talk about what your criteria is when you're picking a county? You know, how do you narrow it down from the state to the county level? Sure. Well, one of the things I look for just as a broad thing is I I try to be within an hour or two, you know, within a radius of a major metropolitan area that's got something going on for it that I like really. So that, that leaves a lot of areas in play basically. And then I try to look at what's the activity level and are things selling well or they sitting on the market forever? You know, like one of the basic things I'll do, like if you're trying to just look at an area, say, say for instance, you take a certain county and it's Smith County and you have a certain criteria properties you like. For us right now, we like properties 10 acres or more. I mean, we have done smaller properties, but that's what resonates best with us now. So that's what we're searching for. So I might put in, you know, I'll look on Zillow and say 10 to 100 acres and I'll say, uh, over the past 12 months, how many properties sold? And then I'll see how many properties are for sale. And if it's even, you know, like if there's 20 properties for sale, 20 that have sold in the last tw- uh, 12 months, 
then it's a, it's a pretty decent market. If there are 10 properties on the market within that range and 20 have sold in the last year, then I know it's an even more active market. So things are selling and you know there's six months worth of inventory as opposed to a year's worth of inventory. And then if it's on the other side of things, if there's 50 listings and only 20 sales in the past year, then I'll generally stay away from those counties unless I get you know some sort of... I've had some sort of experience where I know that if I can price something super aggressively, that it will sell. Or, or if I know that it's easier to pick up properties in that particular county. So why are you staying above 10 acres? Talk a little bit about that. I've just kind of decided to keep that as my criteria for now because I like to have more than one exit plan. And I feel like if, if you're at the 10 acre mark, then your exit plan, you could sell to a someone that's going to build on the property. But if that doesn't work out, you can always sell to someone as a recreational side of things. When you get into the smaller lots, I just I just worry and I've come into a couple situations where, you know, we thought we did all our due diligence, we thought it was buildable and, you know, we've come to find out that it's, you know, there there's a some sort of barrier that that would make it um more difficult to build or or not buildable in some way. So those properties like a say a 5 acre property, you're not going to have many people that are interested for recreation. It's just kind of too small. A lot of people are looking for something 10 acre plus. So that's kind of why I'm going there. And plus, you're getting some some bigger dollar amounts when you go into the larger acreage ranges. Now, I know some of the stuff that's pretty close to the uh, major metropolitan areas that are in that five, two to five acre range, they can still be really pretty pricey. But those are generally only you know buildable type properties. And if there's an issue with it, then you're kind of um, kind of stuck, I guess. Okay. So can you walk through an example deal? Typical mm-hmm. example deal. 10 acres, mm-hmm. it's an hour outside of a major city. You yeah. see a lot of activity. By the way, I wanted to ask, do you, you use Priced yourself? I have. I tried it. Yeah. I've, Did, I have you tried you ever it. Did you look at the research tool in Priced where you can look mm-hmm. at days on market? You can look at uh, 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 sold to for sale ratios? Um, no, I haven't used that. I just use it simply for the pricing. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating because there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a, a research thing where you can say... Um, uh, by the way, shameless plug, if you're interested in Priced, everybody, joemccall.com slash Priced, P-R-Y-C-D. It's an amazing tool. I, I would still recommend it, even if I didn't get a little commission on it. And it's not much. I get a little. But there's a thing called, uh, uh, it's a research, I think is what it is. You type in the state, and then there's about eight or nine, 10 criteria, And you can search for, one of them is days on market, the average days on market. You can do a sold to for sale ratio. So the higher the number, the better normally, right? You can do a, I filter it down even more to number of sold comps. We want to make sure there's good activity in the sold area. And then I, I don't want too big of a county that's like in the major cities. So you can do a population per square mile, maybe under an average of a thousand or something like that. Days on market, number of solds, sold to for sale ratio, something else. But then that, then you see, um, kind of the, uh, the, the, you can narrow down a, ca- a state with a hundred counties down to 10 or 20. Which is very interesting, right? So you're looking. Oh, so give us an example deal then of ten acres. It's worth. What are you trying to sell that ten acre property for? Yeah, pretty much. We try to double our investment on anything we do. So say, for instance, it's in an area where retail or retail may be, you know, seven thousand an acre, something like that. Um, I'll try to pick it up typically for maybe three thousand an acre. So then I can price it maybe slightly below. The retail price, and then uh, you know that's what helps me generate my quick sales generally. And the other thing is, I'm only trying to buy what I consider to be quality properties at this point. Like I, I rarely 
well, first of all, I've only bought one landlocked property and was just, I, I didn't lose money on it, but it was just such a hassle. I've kind of sworn off any <laughs> landlocked properties or things that have issues. Like if there's too much of a slope, if it's, you know, a lot of wetlands, if it's, you know, the access is weird, you know, something like that. I just, I just pass on those properties now. I used to, I used to try and make something out of every, you know, potential deal. Like for the right price, I figured, well, for the right price, this, you know, I can make this work. But those pro- those properties have all been problems for me. Not, not problems. I haven't lost money on any deals, but they've they've been more effort than I want to spend on each property. And those are the longer holds and the ones that I make the least amount on. So I've been, fo- been focused on just trying to buy what I consider to be quality properties. A property where if I walked onto the property or anyone walked onto the property, they'd say, hey, this is a nice property. You know, I'd love to buy this property. So you know, no matter what kind of market environment, if it's a property that's a nice property, I mean, it it will sell. You know, it'll sell if you price it, you know, slightly below market, and it'll sell quickly. So you're using a realtor to sell these properties, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So yes. you're, are you trying? Are you figuring in when you double your money back? If you buy a property for thirty grand, are you hoping to net thirty? Yes. After realtor yes. Expenses? Exactly. Yeah. So we try to, you know, we try to double our investment after all closing costs and commissions and everything like that. All right. So let's say it's worth about seven grand an acre. So you're going to try to sell it. If it's a 10 acre lot, you're trying to sell it for 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, so what's so your maximum offer then? It would probably be on something like that. It would probably be 30, you know, I would say, you know, so sometimes we can get a little bit better, you know, if it's quality property, sometimes we can get a little bit better than double. Sometimes it's a little bit less, but that's, I just kind of try to ballpark it and say, you know, realistically, what what could we list this for where it's going to be slightly below market and then net and then hopefully double our investment? And sometimes I have to push it a little further. If I know it's a quality property, I'm I'm willing to push it a little further, even if it's not quite a double. But you know, so we try to do an average. Yeah. So you're buying the property around forty percent. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you were going after cheaper property, maybe one to ten acres, were you down at the twenty five, thirty five percent? level? Did you ever look at it that way? Um, I, I think I've always, that's always kind of been in my head, like trying to double, but I know we've, we've done on some of those cheaper properties, we've done triple quadruples, you know, it's, we've, we've had some really, really good ones like that, but um, I don't know. I, I think that's always kind of been my standard, you know, to try to double things. Okay. All right. So you pick a County that's got a lot of activity, an hour, two hours outside of the city. You're looking for 10 plus acres, maybe 10 to 100. Is that the list that you pull? Yeah, I actually do 10 to max. You know, I don't, I'll, I'll even send like offers on huge properties, 1,000 acres, 2,000 acres. Biggest one we've done is uh, 650 acres. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a good one. Um, it was one, I've only done two partner deals, you know, where I bought in a partner to actually fund the deal. And, okay. and that was one of them. Um, we bought that property for 315,000. And ended up selling it for five ninety five. Did you use so, a funding company, a land funding company, for that? Uh, yeah, I used a partner that uh, you know he he just was looking to kind of partner on some land deals, and he brought on the money, and I did the marketing side of things, and we split the profits. So it was it was a good deal for both sides. I just interviewed um, Travis King <clears throat> from <clears throat> Freedom Land Capital. Is that what it is? This company, and I had a student that used him and just made his net from the deal was uh, $13,000. That's how much mm-hmm. he made on the deal. Yeah. Super happy about it, you know? But um, the funding company pretty much helped with everything and they require you to list with an agent. 
Right. Um, so the, the interesting thing about those deals, especially I tell people, if you're just getting started, use a funding company that's already doing land because you can, they can kind of walk you through the process. If it's a good enough deal, you can see how it all works. Um, and that's one of the advantages to being in the higher price properties. Would you agree? Because you use realtors mm-hmm. and um, you have the room to pay a realtor. And that also takes a lot of the work off of your plate, right? Oh yeah. I, I use uh, realtors, um, local land brokers on every single one of our deals. It, uh, unless I don't have someone in, in that particular area. And what we try to do is kind of establish a relationships. We really leverage them on the purchase side of things. Like we have them look at our due diligence, give us their opinion of value. And you know, if it, if it makes sense for them to actually go out to the property as well, we, we leverage them in that part. But on the yeah. other side of things, then we give them the listing after we purchase it. Yeah. So it really takes off, you know, a lot of land investors put a lot of effort into the marketing side of things. They're marketing website and listing and all these sites and everything like that. And, and we don't have that side of things to bog us down. And we just list with the broker who has their own process and their own marketing, their own buyer list and everything like that. So have I, you I ever think there's tried, advantages to each, but... Have you ever tried selling any of those properties on owner financing terms? I haven't to, to this to date, but I actually uh, recently came in contact with someone that will actually buy the notes from me at closing. So I get cashed out. He holds the financing. But it's not really part of my business model to hold the financing. Maybe sometime in the future, maybe if I started a fund or something like that, I could I could see that working. But I think just the you know when I kind of evaluate the funds that we have and and the return on investment and everything like that, I think I can multiply it a lot faster just by doing these you know these type of deals that I'm currently doing rather than holding the financing. All right, so let's talk about the mail that you're sending. You're sending letters, and again, guys, you can go to JoeMcCall.com/slash/pete. You get the letter and the blind offer contract that Pete is sending out. Why do you send blind offers? Right. I think it. I think it. Um, it projects a level of seriousness. Like I'm ready to go. Here's what I'm. I want to offer, and it gets people responding. Sometimes the responses are not positive. <laughs> you know, we're people upset that we offered too low on their property, and we get a yeah. lot of those. We use a call answering service to filter most of those out, but. It's a starting point. You know, sometimes we're, we're on, you know, sometimes the prices are on, sometimes it's too low, sometimes it's too high, but at least it's a discussion starter in a lot of cases. And then they know we're serious about buying the property. At least that's the perception that we try to give. And, uh, we will buy a property if it's a good property and, and we can, we can work out the price. So have I don't you know. Ever I, tested, I've always done that, but have you ever tested sending a neutral letter? No, never have. Never have. Probably should. <laughs> I would suggest it and I would give you my reasoning why I like to do it. Because it takes so much time in the front end to price properties if you're sending blind offers, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just use a neutral, you can't just use one price for the entire county. Depends on where it is. And I know guys that are spending tons of time trying to figure it out, break it down to the subdivision level, breaking it down in a map and saying, all right, all the properties here will get this price, all the properties here will get this price, you know, doing that kind of a thing. Wouldn't it just, my, my argument is, and I've tried I tried both and I like the neutral letter better because <clears throat> I would, I send everybody to a, um, a 24 hour, I call it, please text or call our 24 hour recorded voicemail. I want them to call and they know nobody's going to answer. So I don't have a live answering service. Um, when I tested this before, it seems like I get more calls because it's going to a 24 hour recorded voicemail. Hmm. And I don't want them going to a website. I want them to right. call that number. Now I have more leads. I have more calls and it's not a ton. I mean, I get maybe 2%. The 3%, depending on the county, um, sometimes 1%. Well, I get an average of 2% that will call me on a letter. 
When I send blind offers, my response are more down in the half to 1%. So I get about double the phone calls, right? So if I'm sending out a thousand letters, I'll get 20 calls and I have a reference ID on the letter. And so the voicemail says, thanks for calling. What's the letter reference ID? And we also text them. And then we also ask them for their email address because we can email them the offer. Now I have three ways to follow up with them, text, email, and in the physical mail. But then we can look at the property and determine what we should offer then at that point. So we can see, all right, well, it's next to a lake or it's in this HOA where there's tons of properties for sale. So we're going to exclude, we're, you know, our offer is going to be really low. Or we can see it's a landlocked property and say, we're not interested or make an offer for 500 bucks, maybe a thousand bucks. We've done that before, super low. And so I would argue that you get more deals accepted because your offers are better to begin with. Hmm. Um, and you get more calls and now you have more people to follow up with. So then we send, we follow up with everybody that calls us every 30 days and we don't talk to them until after they get our offer still. So there's not a lot of being on the phone. Like, so we, we only talk to them after they get the offer. So I'd be, I, I would, uh, I'd be curious to know how that would work. That kind of a strategy on a 10 acres or more. I'm normally targeting one to 10 acres is where I'm targeting, right? Maybe it's different on the higher price properties. Maybe those bigger properties are easier to price on your blind offers. So what do you think about that? What I just said, do you agree or disagree? I mean, and I want to ask you then, how do you price your properties when you're sending your blind offer? Sure. I like it. I like the concept. Uh, honestly, it's something that I should probably test because, you know, I just look at the price, you know, kind of our average cost per deal that we buy. And it's probably going to end up this year, probably at about $3,200 in mail costs for every deal that I buy. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how that would change, you know, with the neutral letter thing. I, th- I think it, I think it could, um, I think it, it, it should be something that I definitely uh, test out. And maybe it could be a situation where I send my list, you know, a neutral letter and then a blind offer and then, or, or put it into a rotation just to, because I, I mail these same people multiple times. So yeah. I'm, I'm mailing them over and over again, really. So it could be an interesting thing uh, to throw in the rotation too. And, you know, some people might respond to one, you know, as uh, over the other, you know, quite a bit better. And, and ultimately it's about, you know, getting a, a conversation and seeing if there's a deal that could be put together. So getting right, to respond so, is the important thing. So, um, how do you price your offers then? When you're looking at, yeah. you, you get accounting, you get how many names on average on a, in a county are you getting? Five hundred to a thousand? Yeah, it depends on the county. It might be you know a couple thousand. You know, thousand to maybe three thousand is pretty much the average in a lot of these counties. It seems like. And you know, you were talking about those guys that spend all the time and kind of checking out every single zip code and area of the county. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I'm, I pretty much, uh, it's more of a shotgun approach. Really, I just do averages for the whole county and then I price it accordingly. And I know I'm, I'm not as accurate as some of these people are. And that's well, just never the way it is. But <laughs> yeah. Because that's but the frustrating I, thing with it. Yeah. But you know, when I look at, when I look at overall, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the return on investment, you know, my mail return on investment. You know, if I, if I can, spend 3000 or $3,200 per deal on mail and my average profit per deal is 22000 which is what it's been averaging. It's, it makes, I mean, it's, it's definitely a great return on investment, you know, yeah. six times, seven times return on investment, something like that. Well, that's phenomenal. That's still really good. We're spending about $1,500 on direct mail per deal. Yeah, that's a lot better. That means I would do twice the amount of deals if I did that. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe yeah, I'm just maybe. throwing it out there. Think about yeah. it. So you're just, you're, you're not spending a ton of time at the front. No. Tricing your offers. No, right. Maybe, which maybe isn't as important when you're doing 10 plus acres, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's easier. I think, I definitely yeah. think it's easier doing the larger parcels when it comes to that. And obviously, you know, different areas have different pricing. There's nuances to every single neighborhood, really. But I, I just try not to get too hung on, uh, hung up about it. I'm more concerned about consistently sending out specific quantity of, of mail each month. Like I try so how to. How much are you 50, sending out? How many? How much um, mail? Fifty thousand letters a month now. Fifty thousand letters a month. Yeah, yeah. Every That's two weeks, awesome. I send out twenty-five thousand. Yeah. That's I like okay. To go so big. <laughs> test your neutral letters with a smaller number there, right? Because that might <laughs> overwhelm. Because you know that is going to be more work if you're sending a yeah. neutral letter. You're going to get more leads, and you're going to be, you know, you're going to have to price each and every one of those as they come in. Right now, yeah. what I do is I just look. Price will tell me what to offer, you know. And priced, if you do a, uh, they have this thing called a comp report. And it'll it'll give you the county pricing, the city pricing, and the geolocation pricing, right. which are all different. And I just pick the lowest of the three is what I do when I send that out. But <laughs> then I always verify it when I go to I go to Zillow and I just look at what do I think I can sell this for, and I know what my minimum profit is. So I'll come up with a number real quick, just looking at what I think I can sell it for and what price to say in. And then I got these two numbers. I just go to the lower one. It's typically how I like to do it and how I teach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something you could have a VA do. For yeah, you. I like it. Yeah. Um, do you have yeah. virtual assistants helping you with all of this or do you do it? Yeah, I've got, I've got a pretty big team build out now. I've got um, a lead manager, a lead and due diligence manager. And basically they input everything into the CRM when we get a response, you know, so we get a call into our call center or we get an email or, or a piece of mail back, something like that. They input everything into our, our CRM and, and then also kind of do some basic due diligence like pull up a map link um, and put it in our CRM so we can just click on it and don't have yeah. to create that map. And, you know, some things like that, look at the wetlands and FEMA floods and just, just some of the basic stuff. And then um, I've got an acquisition manager and her job is to actually call and communicate with all the sellers directly. I don't really do any of that myself at this point. Uh, I've also got another person that's a, a property analyst and their job is to evaluate all these properties, look at them deeply, determine where we need to be price wise and if there's if it's a property we actually want to move forward and buy and then they also review all the due diligence after that's all collected as well and we got another team member that does list prep and just some other miscellaneous tasks within our business and I've got a transaction manager that handles all the buy side transactions and all the resale transactions as well just all the paperwork stuff so that's five people on your team uh, yeah yeah and, and then, then I've got an executive assistant as well <laughs> so. and a personal assistant yeah, yeah, an executive assistant that kind of helps me manage a team and really takes projects and kind of moves them forward. So nice, good. So six people on your team are they U.S. based, Filipinos? I've got um, a couple of people that are in the Philippines, and then I've got uh, one in Canada. That my acquisition manager is from Canada, and then I've got uh, my analyst, property analyst here in the U.S., and my transaction manager is here in the U.S., and my executive uh, assistant is U.S. based as well. I know a lot of people listening to this are going to be intimidated. Like, oh my gosh, this guy's sending 50,000 letters a month. <laughs> He's got five full-time employees. That's crazy. It takes you time to build there. You weren't, you didn't start there right away. No, no. I just started with, I started with my um, assistant from the, uh, from the Philippines. He's, he came with me from an, another business that I have. And uh, I, I just kind of 
trained him as I learned everything within the business. And I kind of gave him tasks that I wanted to get off of my plate. And gradually, he just picked up a bunch of stuff, just kind of grew it at all like one piece yeah. at a time. And, I, and then I brought on the acquisition manager. And, and then I brought on a transaction manager. And then um, also the um, uh, property analyst and then his executive assistant. So I've just kind of built them one piece at a time and just kind of trying to get rid of all the stuff that I do on a daily basis. And now I'm just pretty much evaluating deals. I'm trying to do big, big picture stuff. So yeah. So when you say you're net about 50%, mm-hmm. you don't have to get into yeah. the granular detail. Does that mm-hmm. include all your overhead and staff? No, no, that that's like, um, that's like just the property stuff. Like, uh, you know, say I bought, you know, a million, $1.7 million property properties, and then we sold it for 3 million after commissions and closing costs and everything. That's just like the gross profit. Then I've got all these staff expenses and other, you know, business expenses that get deducted from that, unfortunately. And direct so. mail costs. Yeah. And direct mail costs is your big one. So, so yeah, you're spending probably 35, 40 grand, 35 grand a month on direct mail. Um, it's about 25 grand. Okay. So yeah, about 50 cents a letter, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's talk about um, some tools and software that you use, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you use yep. for live answering service? I use Pat5. Okay, cool. And you like them? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've had some things here and there, but, you know, it's generally just a matter of getting on the same page with some scripts. And, you know, they're like any other business, really. I mean, they have some reps that are really good and some reps that are maybe newer and learning <laughs> on the yeah. job. So, you know, you have those types of things here and there. But, okay. Um, CRM, what do you use for that? Yeah, we've got our own a proprietary CRM. Yeah, that's it's built on the high level platform. I don't know I if you're familiar. Yeah. yeah, so it's built on that, but we've done a whole customization, and it's just it's not just a CRM, really. It's a whole business process um, system for us. So we use it to manage all aspects of like all the different team members and all the processes, like the transaction manager processes on the buy side and the resale side, like our our due diligence processes that that all gets managed within there. And then obviously the acquisition side of things when we're dealing with the the sellers and the leads that come in and there's a lot of automations built within there, like automatic texting and emails and all kinds of stuff. Well, th- this is something really interesting. I, I use FreedomSoft. I love it. Um, it doesn't do everything I want it to do, but it does 95% of what I want it to do. Um, but I've looked at Go High Level or High Level, whatever it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did Did you look to see if anybody else um, had done something before that you just kind of copied? Or did you just start from complete scratch and build it on your own? I started from scratch. I used it in another business um, that we own. Uh, so I was pretty familiar with it. And I saw that some people were using it for real estate investing, but it was all a little different than what I do. So I kind of had to build it out step by step. And it's grown over time. Like I've you know added things and added things and customized it. And now it's to the point where it does a really good job kind of managing our whole business, really. Do you, one of the drawbacks, I'm getting a little geeky here in the technical That's all right. Because <laughs> right? um, I've looked at that and then I've done something similar with another software and it just grew into this huge little monster <laughs> of all of these, I was relying on all these different third-party apps. Right. Zapier, um, at the time, Globiflow. Um, and then like if I wanted to do phone, you know, text, I had to sign up with another service that tied into Podio is what it was. And then I had, uh, if I wanted to do direct mail, I was tying something else in. And I had this long chain of all these third-party things that were coming in. And I realized 
that my chain is only strong as its weakest link. So if Zapier broke or if something broke with here, I wouldn't even know about it maybe for a couple of weeks. Um, so Deb, you found that same thing with high level. If you have to have all these other third-party integration things in it, does it still work? Well, that's one of the benefits of high level. It is kind of a, maybe as you're building it out is really maybe not, not the most user-friendly. Once you get it set up, it, it works beautifully. But getting it set up is a, you know, customizes is maybe a little bit difficult, but they've got, that's one of the beauties of, of that platform is they've got so many different things that are like integrated within the platform that, you know, you don't have to use outside apps um, in, in a lot of cases, you know, so um, there are some still outside things that we use with Zapier and um, you still have to sign up for Twilio um, and Mailgun if you're going to, you know, send emails and send text messages through there. But once you get those things kind of locked in, they have like a direct connection with the with high level. Um, then it's kind of kind of smooth sailing, really. So let's talk um, about creating a contract, for example. If if I wanted to create a contract in high level, where I have my input fields and I just want to create a a contract with all the merge fields in it, mm -hmm. how would you do that with high level? Yeah, I, that's one of the things I haven't set up, but I but I would like to. Um, basically, you can. You would, you know, use DocuSign or PandaDoc or one of those, and then you use Zapier to kind of you fill out the form, and then it does it behind the scenes, and then sends it out through through there. Okay. So, but so close. It can be done. It can be done. Yeah. It's just I haven't. You know, it's one of those things on the list, I guess. Well, I was also looking at it from a perspective where something I could build and then sell. Mm, yeah. When I sell it, I have to make sure they get Twilio set up. I have to make sure they get Zapier set up, and then then. Yeah, the mail gun is that what you called it? Mail gun, yeah, mail gun, and then you've got to get DocuSign for the electronic signatures, and there's probably Panda Docs or something else that creates right. the document, and then um, so so anyway, like you'd have, have to you'd have to do a whole onboarding thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, set up all that <laughs> kind of has all of that built in, and already yeah. it's built in around the phone, so it's like any lead that comes in, the whole conversation with that seller happens in the lead inside of FreedomSoft. Mm -hmm. So you can see the inbound and outbound texts and the phone calls. Yeah. And well, that's what high level, that's what uh, is there. Like you can, yeah. in the CRM, you can listen to the recorded phone calls with all the leads, even if Pat live, you know, they answer. It brings it into the record. You can see oh, any of the texts that send out, like everything's all in that conversation view. So you've got it all there, which is nice, but. Good, good, good. All right. Let me, um, I got some more questions here real quick. Finding the money. Um, mm -hmm. You get a deal. They say, yeah, let's sell it. Um, how, when you got started, how did you get, did you have the money yourself? Did you borrow private money? What'd you do? Uh, I had I had some money saved up from other businesses and things that, you know, used to get started. Um, one of the big things that I had to deal with in getting this started is proving to my wife that this would all work. <laughs> I knew it would. I, I was very confident that it would. But so at one point, you know, we had, I don't know, maybe purchased like four or five properties. I hadn't sold anything yet. So, yeah. and then we had the first one sold and the next one started to sell Then she could see how it was all kind of working the way it should. But that's a little bit of a tense time, you know, sure. <laughs> when, you, when you put out all that money in mail or you put out all that money in, in deals that you're confident will be yeah. are good deals, but you don't have that proof to yourself, you know, yeah. until you actually do it, I guess. So uh, I was lucky. And then I just kind of gradually ramped it up. I mean, I've got to the point now where I've actually um, parlayed it into like my portfolio value. It's just kind of looking at that like portfolio value of properties that I actually own that are either under contract to be resold right now or just properties that are being marketed right now is like uh, 2.7. 
And those are all um, free and clear. So I was able to take a small amount and kind of just like snowball and snowball and snowball it. That's fantastic. So, yeah, thank you. So you're you're using your own money now to buy yes. these things. Yeah, yeah. Except for I did like two partner deals. Yeah. Okay. So. so somebody getting started, what would you recommend to them? And they don't have that kind of money saved up. What do you recommend? Definitely do the partner deal thing. I mean, it's a. I think it's a win win really because, like you were saying, like the partners, the right money partners, they can help you out to kind of evaluate these deals and. Yeah, you know they're not going to put their money if they into something where it's not a deal. So the, you get to learn, you know, from from their experience, like what is a deal and what isn't a deal. And if you're having a problem with the funder, like if funders don't want to fund your deal, it's because it's not a deal, or it's yeah. maybe too risky. Like it's potentially a deal, but it's kind of a risky one. Well, there's not enough meat on the bone. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, bad deals. Have you got? Have you done any bad deals? You lost money on. Uh, I haven't lost m- money on any deals so far, thankfully. Um, I've had a couple deals where I've made like a hundred or five hundred bucks to just get out of them and to yeah. move on from them. Yeah, but haven't lost money, thankfully. Um, when when you got a good deal, do you buy it right away or do you give your you know? Because I give myself three months to close on our land deals, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, do you do you close as soon as you can? Because if if you know it's a good deal, just go for it. Well, yeah. I mean, part of our thing is that um, we try to get things like we uh, we put on a letter that we try to get it closed within 30 days. Um, I'd close much quicker, you know, if I'm confident in the deal and we've got our due diligence done. Um, we try to get that our due diligence done within a week or two, you know, depending on the photographer, you know, how quickly they can get out there, really. But uh, the generally, the what we're waiting for is the title companies. And sometimes some of the title companies yeah. just take forever to get the you know the title search done and get all that stuff lined up. So we buy everything through a title company, attorney, escrow company, just because I, I want to make sure that that's good. And then when we go to resell it, we're not going to have any issues on that side of things. Yeah. Um, okay. Makes sense. Um, let's talk final question here. Competition. A lot of people are starting to get worried. about. I mean, I've heard people complain about competition since I got started in 2009 full-time in the business, right? It's right. always people can, can get worried about that. Um, but what is your perspective now? You've been in the market a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What do you, are you worried about competition? Are you seeing more people going after the same deals you're going after? I hear, I hear all the time, you know, people get letters from different, different, you know, land investors, but honestly, it doesn't, competition doesn't bother me at all. And that's the reason, that's the reason I'm talking to you. That really doesn't. I mean, I think it's kind of a situation where there's just so much land in this country and just so much opportunity that to have that perspective, like there's like some sort of uh, scarcity, you know, a scarcity mindset, I guess you could say. I just don't have that. Like, I, I just think that there's, there's enough to go around and there's, there's plenty of deals to be, plenty of deals to be made. And you're going to get deals if you send out letters or you do your, you know, if you do your outreach and uh, you, you'll make money. I mean, the return on investments there. Yeah, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't concern me at all. You know, I think it, I think competition will probably fluctuate over time, but you know, overall, right. it's still a really solid strategy. With the market slowing down in housing, are you seeing the market slowing down with land? Um, most of the areas that we're in are still really pretty stable, but I'm, I try to keep a really close eye on it because I don't want to get I don't want to get stuck, and yeah. I think that it really helps that our average hold time is sixty days. So we can adapt pretty quickly. And if we sense that things are really starting to go downhill in a certain area, then we'll just adjust our buy prices, you know, lower. And that's you know, like thing. you're buying yeah. so low, you've got, you've got a lot more room for error. That's don't right. 
That's right. And you know, the interesting thing is a lot of people worry about the upcoming recession in real estate. If that plays out, like a lot of people are saying, but if, as long as you can buy for the right price and sell for the right price, you're going to be fine. When I was doing the REO broker stuff, when I was listing properties for the banks and the worst real estate crash ever, I mean, I would have 30 offers on a property because it was priced at a price that was you know, it was very attractive to, to investors and they knew they could make money on it. So there was still like activity happening. There was still stuff. It was just that the prices reset. And, uh, you know, I'd have 30 voicemails on my phone as well that like every day to call people back. I and mean, it was just so, such an unbelievable amount of activity because they were able to price it right. So. Yeah, I love it too. And when you can even, you could even do owner financing to get more interest in a property, more buyers yep. than that would buy it, right? Yeah. Pete, this has been so good, man. I really appreciate yeah. you sharing your stuff. Um, again, guys, if you want to get Pete's letter and contract that he sends out, go to joemccall.com slash Pete, and we'll send it to you for free there. Um, Pete, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, and please reach out, um, you can find me at turningprofit.com. And on there, I do a monthly income report, which tracks how we're doing in our business, the revenue, the gross profit, all the deals that we did one by one, I break them down, kind of explain how it went, show you the numbers on those deals, just so you can see what's possible. Because when I started, like I said, there was things I was reading on the internet, anecdotes of people buying a property for 10000 and selling it for 30000 And uh, you know, I just had that to go by. And there was nothing really uh, more tangible than that. So I'm trying to put it out there, the information out there, so people can see it and, and see what's possible, see what I'm doing. What I'm doing is not the only way to do things by any means, but it's just what I know works for me yeah. and might work for you too. So. Turningprofit.com, right? That's it. Yep. Turningprofit.com. All right. Pete, thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. Well, thank you, Joe. Really, really great to be here. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you. See you later.